Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along, it's another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast, I'm James taking you through, and this is another famous fans version, the guest on today's Cricket Badger Podcast is Inspiral Carpets guitarist Graham Lambert, a big Lancashire fan as well, as i found so far, we're doing the famous fans one on both of them so far, we had Neil Foles on a few weeks ago, the guest wants to talk about cricket, I want to talk about what they do, and I think uh, we found a good balance, Graham and myself, as we went through this two-parter. The idea behind the famous fans ones is to, well, it gives me a chance to talk about something completely different than cricket, although I am a cricket badger, cricket is my first love. They're also probably describing me as a music badger as well. I've been into music of all kinds from a very early age indeed, and that Manchester scene was hugely important to me. And fantastic bands came out of Manchester through the 80s, 90s, and still doing it really, but New Order, Joy Division, The Smith, Happy Mondays, The Fall, and of course, The Inspiral Carpets, who I listen to an awful lot as well. So on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast, we chat all things music, all things Inspiral Carpets, and we chat Graham's love for Lancashire County Cricket Club and cricket in general. And we go through, start to finish really, the Inspiral Carpets and what they achieved and what they gave to music and that Manchester scene. I could have talked to Graham for probably weeks on end because cricket and music, great cocktail. And hopefully you'll enjoy this podcast just as much as I enjoyed recording it. Thank you, as always, to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter, at tvsportsblog. And also a hello and a welcome and a mention to the Brit Top 
Brewing Company. They're producing quality ales combined with their passion for 90s Britop indie music, established in 2017. Give them a look on their website, BritHopBeer.com. Some good beer and got some good merchandise on there. But let's get into this chat with Graham Lambert of the Inspiral Carpets. Really did enjoy this one. And just before we get into the chat about cricket and music, here's a little bit of a reminder. A career in 100 seconds. It seems a little bit insulting almost because there's far more to the Inspiral Carpets than this. But here's a little bit of a reminder of what they brought to the table and to that Manchester scene. Neil Folds, which was the first one, a couple of weeks yeah. ago maybe, and it, I stick it around social media, and then I got quite a few people saying, well, did you know that the butler out of Downton Abbey is a cricket fan, and uh, I've seen that fella out of Inspiral Carpets at Old Trafford quite a few, a few times, and all this kind of stuff, so uh, yeah, it starts to take shape, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I used to, um, I first went, uh, well, 55, I first went in 76 when um, uh, I went to a Benton Edges game likes the Hampshire and then as a kid just went as often as I could for about four or five seasons and then as I've got grown into an adult just go as many times as I can which ends up these days being about five times a season but my favourite form of the game was just sitting there for a four day game you know just shirt off you know in a pair of shorts feet yeah. over the seat in front and just talking to narrow water seeming like blokes my age who when I was a kid seemed like whiter blokes with flabby brown skin just sat there uh, soaking up the sun reading the paper watching cricket I turned into one of them although I don't <laughs> sit there reading the paper yeah. uh, I still score I just haven't I can't drop the habit of if I don't watch cricket for the day I have to score it it's just uh, it's an addiction I've got oh do you oh yeah, yeah. I, I used to do yeah. that when I was a kid when I when I first went along to cricket I used to sit there and score it but it's some, that's, a, that's a habit I kicked <laughs> yeah it's like I guess it's like a 
a drinking or a drugs addiction where uh, if I know I'm going to be there for the full day, a scorebook. Well, it's not so much a scorebook, I, I rule out uh, like a, a page or a couple of pages before I set up in the morning. Obviously, my wife takes the piss out of me royally. <laughs> I've got folders and folders of these, what are now like foolscap sort of A4 ruled out sheets with the uh, scores. Because you know, um, the guys that do uh, tail enders, uh, they yeah. were doing um, something about scoring. So it, I mean, I don't listen to tail enders because for some reason it just just don't like work for me somehow. And I don't know why. And um, I'd put an Felix through music, and then I, I saw him tweet one day about scoring. So I sent him a private message of a video <laughs> of like what were about half of my score sheets. I couldn't believe how many I had. Um, just fanning through, and one of them was when I was off in London one day with nothing to do. Went to Middlesex second eleven versus somebody else. Can't remember and scored it. Like and obviously I didn't know who the players were because it was like second eleven. So I was scurrying on through the internet and asking people like the odd person, like the groundsman, who was saying, "Do you know who this is Bassett?" <laughs> and then uh, pieced together like a full base player scoring Middlesex team. Can't remember it was. Might have been Gloucester second eleven. One of the outgrounds at like uh, Southgate, I think it's called. Uh, but yeah, just uh, love. I love just sitting there watching. Particularly the red ball game, I just love it. The thing about scoring in the game is you, you can't take your eye off it, can you? Because if you if you walk away for twenty minutes, have a chat with somebody, you you miss three or four overs, and your scoring's gone to pot. Yeah, it's true. Um, the secret of that is uh, you learn to like not so much multitask, but double tasking to have a conversation when you're doing it. But in the four day game, you you could like nip to the toilet, and you know you miss like one over or something. You can sort of soon piece it together. Reflecting cricket because it's on the internet, it's dead easy to piece together. But you know, I wouldn't rule, I wouldn't have it that all my score sheets are absolutely spot on perfect. But in a way, that's you know, with the odd tea stain on it here and there, you know, my score sheets, it's, it's part and parcel of the story, really. You know, you, nobody will pull me up on getting a score sheet wrong in 2001, a county championship game between Lakes and Durham, but um, I can't find a no ball somewhere that someone pulled, you know. No one's ever going to pull me up about it, you know. So, but I do my best to make it as accurate as possible. But you're a potential safety net for Lancashire County Cricket Club. If their scorer suddenly turns ill, they can turn to you. Yeah, I, have a, I, I do it what might be like the kid old-fashioned way. You know, when you used to have those green, culminative scoring books where I don't really do balls first and how many balls a certain ball a ball that's a That's just a general like, run-of-the-mill pretty standard like club club scoring style, or as was pen and paper job, you know. <laughs> we've, we've got into the chat already, haven't we? So we might as well introduce <laughs> you to the uh, Cricket Badger podcast listeners. Graham Lambert, welcome to the podcast. In Spiral Carpets, lead guitarist. How are you? How are you finding life at the moment? That's me, yes. Uh, I'm glad, thanks for having me on. Uh, life is very good, as it, as it has, has been for, for the, the first 55 years of my life. It's, it's all fine. Making do with lockdown. Massively missing cricket, though, like live cricket. I have a quite a big library of old games on video and DVD, and, which I can watch, and obviously you've got YouTube now and your TV and stuff. But uh, this is the live sound of uh, Leather and Willow. Well, you're, you're just a little bit older than me, but because of that, you're in Spiral Carpets Band. That that kind of Manchester sound, that era of kind of indie music and, and the Smiths and Stone Roses, Happy Mondays and what have you, means a hell of a lot to me, to be honest. Uh, I'm a I'm a big music fan. If you start to give me a test on Inspiral Carpets record by record, I'd probably fail it badly. But I know, I, I, since I chatted to you the other day on online <coughs> about getting you on the podcast... I've been listening yeah. to uh, some of your old tracks and it's been bringing back some many happy memories. Do you, do you look back at your back catalogue with fondness? And, um, you, you know, if it was Desert Island Discs, so, would you take any of your own tracks to it? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. 
I think the, what lockdown has made a lot of the industries do is analyse their own material, their own back catalogue, because there isn't a lot of people making, well, the, certainly the older bands making new music these days. And I, I'm not really a big fan of, of listening back to what we've done, because by the time you make a record, you, you've lived with that song or those songs, if you're making an album, you've lived with them for, for weeks and months on end and you know them inside out. So by the time you've committed, or they're, they're committed to vinyl, you've, you you obviously have a listener and you're really proud or else you wouldn't put it out, but you, we don't really, I'm sure I'll speak for all of my band and all the most bands, you don't really sit around listening to your own music. So the answer to your question is I probably wouldn't take anything Bios to uh, of a desert island disc, but I could certainly recommend some of them if anybody was planning that. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite current bands is the Cortinas, and I was uh, I, I like listening to their their early um, album. I think is a I think their first album is an absolute cracker, uh, and they're a good example to me of a band that, that their early stuff's quite raw, and I like that. And then as they get a little bit more money and get a little bit more popular, it starts to get a little bit more polished, and I lose a little bit of interest. To, to be honest, I, I like the the raw sound of something that's, uh, it doesn't mean it's a bad record, but I like to hear it from the heart rather than from the producer. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? But absolutely, yeah. I think it, in the early days, um, you first, well, it, in our case, and I'm sure it's most times the case, you don't have much money, you do a, a cheap, your first few singles are recorded cheaply, uh, maybe done by mates, and, and you're really passionate about what you do. And then, Rightly or wrongly, you sort of become a little bit successful and determined successful as making a living out of making music. But the goalposts changed somewhat because there's always the lure of kind of getting to the charts and making better selling records than your previous record. And yeah, definitely uh, a little bit of the magic or the, the, the spark in a way. Uh, a lot of bands tend to lose that by the time to get to our albums three and four and it's quite difficult to, to keep that spark going because you change as people, you grow up, you get older. In, in our case, uh, you know, you start having children, you get married and, and everything, all the pleasures and pain that that brings, you know. Yeah, you do lose a bit of that sparkle from being, you know, hungry, five hungry lads on a, 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 the start of a rollercoaster adventure. The Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Take you back to 1983. You and a school friend, Stephen Holt, set up the band. You'd been gigging around Manchester, I think, in a, a few years before that, trying to find your way in the music business. Did you, when you, when you met Stephen, obviously Stephen wasn't part of the band when you, when you got the record deal. Did you, yeah. did you suddenly find, think, wow, something special's coming here? And you started to get the band together and you thought, we've, we've got the chemistry right. Uh, your sort of ambition, though, I couldn't have picked myself up and probably Stephen as well. You start just the two of you sat on the edge of the bed writing songs and then you, you find a bass player and then you find a drummer and then Clint joined on the keyboard. Um, and you want to do a gig in Oldham in a pub, then you want to do a gig in Oldham in a pub and fill it. So each time you you kind of go for the changing, but there definitely one changing point is making a record. And, and I say in those days, I sound like the grandparents were, you make a record and um, it just sets you apart and, you know, and you're trying to, so you make a record and then you want to get in the charts with your next record. But I, I do remember John Peel playing this for the first time, which was in 1988 with our first single. And it definitely felt like 
this is potentially more than a hobby. So you, it's then when you start thinking we could get really big. And my always, you know, flagging the ground was always U2. Um, yeah. Not being a fan of U2, but just thinking that, you know, they're, they're the biggest band sort of, of my generation. I, I mean, I used to really like them in the early days, but by album number three, I'd, I'd gone off them. And they've kind of become everything that we didn't want to be apart from we just wanted to be as successful as them and now obviously that didn't happen but I always use them as a, as a guide stick where there's no rule saying you know you use the cartoon as an example there's no rule saying you can't get this big as big as the Beatles were or as big as you two are and for something like the cartoon it's a really good example of that they're massive without any help from from media or from radio they were getting to do in the press they very rarely get interviewed on the radio they're just a a massive phenomenon. Not everyone's cup of tea, you know, but I, I really like them. I've got a real thing for them because they they just they just had, people identify with them, and that's that's really what is the ultimate aim. Really, what the band is is making music and writing songs that people uh, can identify with. When you start and you first pick up a guitar and you start thinking, right, I want to form a band. Is the motivation to be as big as the Beatles and be a millionaire, or is the motivation to make music, or is it a combination of both? Uh, again, you you learn two chords and then you want to play a third chord and then you want to be able to write a song and then you want to be able to write a song that sounds like a band that you like. Money's never really a drive. Well, speaking again solely for myself, never really thought, oh, if I learn ten chords, I could potentially be a millionaire. Just just want to progress each time. Like I said, you want to get played on the radio, then you want to be successful because you've been played on the radio and then you want to do bigger gigs every time you do gigs you want the tours to be bigger so yeah there's no there's no set sort of template that you want to follow really I, I guess people like Stock Aitken and Waterman back in the 80s they had templates about how artists were going to be and what line they were going to follow but for a live sort of band as such you can't really you can't really do that because you, you you just make music and hope that people get into it you know there is a danger with this podcast that I'm going to talk about music all the way through because I, I really like it. But the we have to remember it's the Cricket Budget podcast. But one last question on the music before we go back to cricket a little bit. You, you almost kind of self-funded yourselves, didn't you? The merchandise and the T-shirts and things that you, you had around the band were, were very important to you in the early stages, weren't they? Yeah, they, they funded us in, in 1989. A couple of us had like full-time jobs and left our jobs to do the band full-time and we we lived off selling t-shirts and because the money you get for gigs like supporting James or the Stone Roses, you know, it's just 50 quid here, 100 quid there. So obviously nowhere near enough for five people and crew to live off. So yeah, so we, we, we created a brand with the t-shirts that we sold quite a few and we lived off those proceedings, but we, we ran at a loss for, for, for 12 months and then we, like the John Peel picked up on us and started playing us and then we signed to Mute Records eventually after about four or five indie singles and then obviously once we started to mute records we were on wages then which lasted five years so yeah those those early days particularly in 1989 when we went full time but without a set income you know we were it was it really was life on on the edge financially on the edge <laughs> and you had Noel Gallagher as a roadie didn't you at one stage uh yeah Noel roadie for for um, it be about maybe three years something like that I think someone put just the other day it was the anniversary of when we met at a gig in Manchester and then he became our roadie and then for three or four years he, he had run his course in being our roadie and then he went off and joined 
Oasis, who I think were called it, the Rain at the time, and then changed the name to Oasis. And um, yeah, the rest is it's in history somewhere what happened to them. <laughs> was it obvious with Noel Gallagher that he was a, a musician that was going to become a star, or was he just a, a normal roadie at the time? He wasn't a normal roadie. He, he was less than a normal roadie. It was obviously <laughs> he wasn't going to earn a living as a roadie working for other people other than us. It was kind of like the mysterious sixth member of the band where he roadied for us all. He even set Tom's microphone up sometimes when he got sold that he had to. Uh, but he wanted, he wanted to, his heart wasn't into being a roadie. He, he became a very good guitarist um, while he was working for us. As he set all our gear up, he'd then be forever playing all the instruments and particularly the guitar but he, he his heart wasn't in being a roadie working for someone and like I say his time with us had run its course in 92 he was fed up of us and we were a bit fed up of him more put around and then he like I say he went off and then he went to be successful which is brilliant you know I'm, I'm nothing but you know proud in the fact that you know he used, used to be really good friends with him and he's like a really successful uh, artist it's, it's brilliant you know Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateapp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate. Slateapp.co.uk. Let's take you back to the cricket and going back to the 70s, as you said, can you can you remember that first day when you walked into a cricket ground? What was it about cricket that made you think, wow, this is great and obviously all these years later still in love with it? I do remember it. Um, I won't bore you with the exact date, but it was uh, April 1976. For some reason, uh, my friend Anthony Feely, who was a year older than me and he, he'd been to cricket already, he said, right, we'll, we'll get season tickets and we'll, we'll go and watch like, every game this season so I bought a season ticket which was about £2 in those on the parents bought me a season ticket so without any previous experience of being sat at Old Trafford all day which was two bus rides away from where we lived we went down we paid a, got the uh, membership card in advance and we went down and uh, yeah, it was Benson Edges game Lancashire v Hampshire Old Trafford uh, and Barry Richards was playing for Hampshire who was an absolute legend South African opening batsman and I just remember seeing him in real life I'd seen him on TV and my dad was, had told me how good he was. And even though we got beat that day, we actually came home early because Anthony Paley was way back to go to some do or something. So we left at tea time. But I'd seen Barry Richards back and he he was really good. And I was hooked, you know, from the, the first day I went. And um, he, Anthony Feely, my friend who I'm still friends with now, he taught me how to score in a scorebook. And to this day, I still do a bit of cricket scoring. It is my um, guilty pleasure, I think people call it. Were you a kid that ran around with your autograph book and were you know, collecting your autographs and that way inclined, um, or did you just watch from the stands? Yeah, I've got a few autographs. We, we used to wait it, but they took that long coming out after they groomed themselves in the 70s, like just quaffing <laughs> their hair and um, chatting to uh, young women who were always in the queue behind us, but the players made beelines for them. I remember Anthony Felix saying, like she used to have an opening batsman called uh, Andrew Kennedy in the 70s, and I remember he came out and he completely bypassed me and Anthony Feely and went talking to these two girls and, and Anthony Feely he, he said to me he said oh look at An- Andrew Kennedy going straight for the women and Andrew Kennedy heard him and he goes uh, what did you say mate and he <laughs> said uh, it's about nothing 
<laughs> he just, it was quite funny seeing the mate having a standoff with, uh, with one I liked cricketers. It's quite funny. I imagine when you're a lead guitarist of a, a successful band, you, you don't get any women queuing up for you at the at the stage, do you? The principle works the same, doesn't it? I mean, you, you're more <laughs> likely to want to talk to like a, a young fan who excited to meet you than some sort of nerdy bloke stood there with, with an armful of scorecards or in, in our case record sleeves that weren't signing. But you, 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 you know, you should treat people equally, really, and that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I try to do now, anyway. I mean, lead guitarist is the glamour role, isn't it? You, lead singer or lead guitarist, you're front front and centre, aren't you? The drummer and the bass guitarist, maybe not quite. Yeah, if you think about a band like Coldplay, you could be the, the drummer of Coldplay and walk into Tesco's and nobody would care less. But Chris Martin walks in and he'd probably get swamped by people. If, if you if you take that to cricket, you mentioned Barry Richards. He's kind of the lead guitarist in terms of a cricket team, isn't he? Who, who was the lead guitarist in terms of your cricket watching? Who was the, the guys that really whetted your appetite and thought, wow, he's, he's, he's special? Not many people actually call me a lead guitarist. I'm more of a rhythm guitarist because of the way I would our band set up. Clint does a lot of the uh, Clint Boone does a lot of the lead, what you might call soloing stuff. So, a lot of the t- uh, time on our records, I'm I'm in with the rhythm boys with the and, bass and Clint's drums, on the so keyboards, isn't he? Which is a big big part of your sound, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. Um, I found it a bit flattering by you calling me a lead guitarist because I, I would never call myself a lead guitarist or well, well, a rhythm guitarist. You're, you're a guest um, on the podcast. I'm not going to not flatter you, am I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm 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 more of a um, in football, in terms of more of a holding midfield player, or uh, or is he like um, kind of like a, a number five batsman who can just like a sort of Paul Collingwood kind of? And I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing Paul Collingwood inside, but you know, he's once somebody went out and smacked a load of sixes like Peterson did. But Colly, Colly's good for decent fielder, good for holding one end up. Uh, obviously, no fool with the bat whatsoever, and could bowl a good six over spell of dibbly dobbly to uh, just partnership breaking you know so I'd view myself more of one of those types of musicians rather than um, you know an Eric Cantona or a Peterson type player that, that's more Clint Boone's role really alright okay um, let's let's rephrase the question then who's your Clint Boone in terms of cricket well I mean you know from in light terms you know we've had Clive Lloyd you know Wazim Akram we've had some big players like that but for myself my uh, the favourite length player but always uh, used to love watching Graham Fowler that who um Obviously made it as an England player by hook or by crook. I think probably because, and I'm sure Graham would say himself, that because of Graham Gooch, because of the ban he had for going playing in South Africa in the sort of early 80s, Graham got a spot in the England team. And I was so proud of him because he, I just used to love watching him back for Lancashire because he, he just went out there and just seemed to like, you know, have a lot of luck, but really got the uh, attacking left-handed opening batsman. I, I got a lot of time for Graham and, and I, I ended up getting to know him through the band and uh, he's a good friend of mine and uh, really, really top bloke, really out and out, 100% solid Lancashire bloke, Graham. We've got a lot of time for him. Previous guest on the podcast, Graham Fowler, he's, uh, he made that double 100, didn't he, in India, which I thought was a terrific innings and I, I can remember listening on TMS to him ticking along towards the 200 and when, you, when you're a supporter of a county and then one of your lads does well and goes off and plays for England and scores a century or takes a five for it, it's special isn't it? Yeah it's funny isn't it because it, it seems to differ from football in that respect cricket where when Rooney was playing for England a lot of United fans didn't want him to play for England didn't want him to get injured whereas with cricket you, you just you know, our, our guys, you know, we've had a few guys over the years get picked for England or we've had a lot of international players coming over and obviously they represent their country. And and you're just nothing but proud of them, you know. To, and yeah, you know, Fowler in the 80s had gone missing for a, 
several county games and Sunday League games because he was playing for England versus the West Indies in 84, for example, and getting absolutely hammered by the West Indies purse attack. But we're still dead proud of him that, you know, he got 100 at Lords against the West Indies and, you know, obviously missed several Lancashire games that summer, but just super proud of him that, you know, one of our one of ours is playing for, for England and holding his end up, you know. He's just a really strong bit of pride. And, and going back to when he, Graham got a double hundred in India in, I think it was early 85, I think you remember. So my mum used to always have Radio 4 on in the morning, listening to the news and before I, uh, as I'd come down for breakfast and before I went to work. But I'd been listening like through the night and as I said, mum, we've got to put TMS on because Graham Powell is near, near 200. <laughs> and, uh, you know, me and my mum were tuning in listening. And, you know, in those days, the the reception on the radio was really like dodgy, you know, because it was a long way or something. And yeah, I, I was there with him when he edged over the line to get 200. So, so you know, one of my proudest sporting moment, moments when Graham Fowler got a double under in India. That, that's something I think all cricket fans share is that youth um, where you take your radio to bed. People of a certain age, anyway, take the radio to bed yeah. and you're listening to the England Down Under or wherever and you're listening to the crackles and you're trying to piece together what's going on. You may be dozing off every now and again, but you, you're trying to keep pace with what's happening on the other side of the world. That, that, that's actually some... Yeah, it's a very simple thing, but it's actually very special, isn't it, when, when you think back to your early times in cricket? Yeah, it, it probably unites all cricket fans a bit from... Certainly in this country and I'm sure around the world, you know, where you, you, you're listening and watching... Um, I know when we, we toured Australia with the band in 93 and it, that coincided with Australia being here in England because it was June 93. So I remember staying up all night in Australia watching the test match. I think it was England v Australia at Trent Bridge, I think, when Australia batted on the first day all day without losing a wicket. And I was watching it live I'm in I'm Australia. Yeah. My dad, uh, he, he likes a bit of cricket. We didn't get too many games, and he, he got a ticket for Trent Bridge Test match when I think Australia batted all day. Got about, about three hundred for no loss at the end of the day's play. And that's the only day's cricket you saw that summer. He came home <laughs> a bit displeased. I think. Yeah, not seeing any wickets fall. It's quite, yeah. it's quite bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, and then I think it was when they did lose a wicket. That is, I think first wicket to go down. I think it was a run out. I think I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was a run out the following morning. But anyway. Lancashire is a, a very famous county. I'm, I'm a Yorkshire fan, so there is a little bit of rivalry between us, Graham. Yeah, the Test match ground, proud history, plenty of county championships in the uh, in the in the trophy cabinet. Do you get that sense when you're watching them play? I mean, obviously, growing up watching it in the seventies to watching it now, what's the, what's the differences in your in your mind? Yeah, it's a massive rivalry. Isn't it? I mean, obviously, any players that walk out there to represent Lancashire, they're obviously going to try the damnedest. But when Mike's play Yorkshire. I'm sure both sides, but I know the Lancashire side, you know, they, they step up a notch. I don't know why. I think it's probably fueled by the fans because since the invention of 2020, the, the crowds for the Roses T20 games have, have been absolutely amazing. And I can vaguely remember in the 70s when Old Trafford would be almost full for John Player League games and, and big one-day games like B&H and Gillette Cup on that West, big games, you know, there'd be a lot of people in the ground. But to see the grounds full for a, a county game it's a great feeling. I'm not a massive fan of 2020, more of a cricket purist, but I'll still go to the 2020 games. You know, I'm not kind of a, a, a red ball snob. They're still um, fun, aren't they? They're still fun. Yeah, and it's still, at the end of the day, it's still cricket, isn't it? You know, but it's it's just over and done within like four hours or whatever. You know, but it's just great to see a lot of fans coming over from Yorkshire and having the crack. You know, and everyone gets beard up, and it's it, it, you know it's good. And it, we've got three daughters. We quite often 
we go to a Roses 2020 game at Old Trafford and take the full family, you know, and they'll they'll we'll see the white ball flying about into the stands and stuff, you know, and I'll be getting all worked up and like tense about saying, oh, we need to bowl a couple of drop balls in, you know, the daughter will be going, oh, I want to see the ball flying into the crowd, you know, you know, it's, it's a great feeling and it, and it has brought the younger people into the game and, you know, maybe a lot of females as well have got more interested in cricket because of 2020, you know. It's a cracking atmosphere, those Roses games, isn't it? And, you know, the T20 Plus is a, is a, is a thriving tournament. It's, it makes it so disappointing, doesn't it, that in, in the year 2020, we've had a, a fantastic start to the summer weather-wise and we've seen nothing at all. Yeah, it is a shame, isn't it? Um, it, it for, for genuine cricket lovers, uh, I'm sure everyone's thinking, right, when's the first game? And there's some thought that it might be the 1st of August this year. And... Um, I'm thinking as I was sat in the garden the other day reading that, I'm thinking, I know what's going to happen in August. It's going to be the wettest August we've ever had. Oh, it's just bound that's to just, be, isn't it? It's bound to be. That's just, just cricket though, isn't it? As, yeah. as cricket fans, we just we just know that, don't we? But, you know, I'll be there though. And first, hopefully the first championship game, if we're allowed, I'll be at Old Trafford for the first four-day game. But yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? It's a shame. It's hard to think how, it, how it's all going to work. I mean, even the fact that they're playing football um, later this month is quite amazing really because obviously behind closed doors but the players on the pitch are going to be you know there's going to be 22 players within well within two metres of each other aren't they unless they're just going to play the passing game like I, the Italians play yeah I find it bizarre I've been watching some of the stuff from Germany and you see the substitutes are all spread out because they don't want to be two metres together but then when they as soon as they're brought on the pitch they're tackling in, in each other's faces it doesn't make much sense to me um, really but, yeah I mean it's likely that cricket's going to come back behind closed doors and I've I've been watching kind of the world change over the last few months and, and music's been quite central to that, hasn't it? A lot of the artists have been doing gigs from home and doing live Facebook chats with their fans and stuff and I've heard a number of bands saying, this is actually a really good thing. You know, once once we get back to whatever this new normal brings, we're going to carry on doing this because it's actually a really good way of connecting with the people that support us. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, people obviously connect through music, don't they, as, as they do with sports as well. We've done, the band have done a couple of, Twitter listening parties where we we had a fellow going through all our um, studio albums at nine o'clock on a on a Thursday night, so it became like we called it hashtag Spirals Thursday, and all the band would be on, and we'd be talking, we'd be playing our album, and then we'd talk about each track and what the lyrics meant, and uh, bring back memories. And the response has been absolutely amazing. You know, the hashtag Spirals Thursday was trending, well, it trended every Thursday night every time we did it. Um, <laughs> And it was really good bringing people together, and we had we had a catchphrase like even together alone or something like that, you know, where um, everyone was listening into the same album, the same songs, and we were talking about the tracks and what certain things meant about the tracks and certain how certain instruments were recorded, and you know, it, it really created a lot of interest. You know, it's, it's a good way of having a community and keeping people together. I think the first time I ever heard of your your band was the, the the big single at the start, wasn't it? This is how it feels to be lonely. And uh, I was watching yeah. the video yesterday after I knew you were coming on the podcast. I watched that video, and I, I'm I'm imagining that's on the top of Saddleworth Moor, and you look, all look absolutely freezing. It was freezing, yeah. It was it was on the Snake Pass, the A fifty seven, right? Not okay. Saddleworth Moor, yeah, right on the top of the Snake Pass. We meant to have a big screen put up that day, um, showing subliminal cuts of our faces, but it was that windy that. Uh, we had to abandon having the screen, so we had to fabricate one in the end. Um, but yeah, it was freezing that day. It got soaked. But, you know, it was all good fun. You remember these things afterwards thinking that, that was a good laugh, wasn't it, when we sat on the A57 for 12 hours in the middle of, it was 1 January, well, January 1990, it would have been uh, absolutely freezing, you know. But uh, it's, all, it's all 
for our arts, you know, we, we, got, we did it for the arts. <laughs> At that time, music videos were very important, weren't they? Every band that uh, brought out a single had to do the obligatory music video and people getting really creative with stuff at the time. Yeah, I think music videos they, they became, well, they first got made probably just in the 70s, didn't they? The late 70s music videos. But was, it, was it Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer and all that kind of stuff that really kicked off? Was it mid-80s, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that, yeah, that was mid-80s. Yeah, you'd always have videos that were groundbreaking, like Peter Gabriel, Godly and Cream, 10 DC, that well, Godly and Cream as well. They always made really interesting videos. They probably are probably film students. Um, but yeah, they, they, you know, you, you do a single, you'd have to do B-side, then you'd have to decide on the sleeve and then the video where you've got to make the video. And then, and then by the time you come to making the video, there'd be all sorts of people joining in saying, oh, when you do the video, can you make sure the singer's um, singing, you know, on, on the screen, singing every time the singer sings a, sings a line and if there's any backing vocals of the person doing the backing vocals, make sure they're in shot. So, you, you know, you, it becomes more of a thing where, like, more of a team effort with the people around you as well as just whatever the band want, you know, because if it was left just to the band, you know, they'd just be, like, really obscure arty bits of film that didn't mean anything to the, the run-of-the-mill fan in the street kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, so it was, I mean, that video probably cost thousands of pounds. I know a, a company came up from London to do the video. I think it was Anton Corbin, actually, or... or Somebody had something to do with Anton Corbin because he came through because we're on mute records and he'd done a lot of Depeche Mode stuff. We were also on mute, but all that stuff was new. There was a van that brought some catering onto onto the moors, you know, so we had some food over there, you know, and it was all it was all new to us because we just we'd never experienced anything like that before. But, but yeah, it's, it's a good video, but we're we're freezing. I'm sure we could have recreated it in a studio in Rochdale somewhere and got some. <laughs> Yeah. But it wouldn't have been as authentic. On a green screen. It'd have been far more warm, wouldn't it? Yeah. It's that badger style. There we go then, that's the end of the first half of my chat with Graham Lambert of the Inspiral Carpets about all things music, all things cricket. If you're enjoying it so far, then turn me off now, stop me wittering on, and you can turn on part two and enjoy the second half of the chat with Spiral Carpets guitarist. <laughs> Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.